0: welcome to another episode of the work life podcast to find out more about the work life hub and to listen to other episodes please go to www.worklifehub.com
1: welcome to another episode of the work life hub podcast i am your host agnes Uheretsky. if this is the first time that you are tuning in Let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change, and organizational development. In our work at the Work Life Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter, at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Podcast. This is your host, Agnes, and today we have a very exciting episode. Um, I'm joined by Dr. Nicola Millard. Hi Nicola.
0: Hello there, how are you doing?
1: I'm very excited to have you as a guest on our podcast ahead of the Agile Working event. This is a special episode we're recording for them um, as you will be one of the speakers uh, at this event in
0: 2017. I will.
1: (laughs) Nicola is Customer Insight and Futures in bt global services innovation team uh, i'm probably we will start with unpicking that yep and uh, you have a very interesting um uh, bio you worked for the bt for 26 years and you've done a number of jobs uh, in bt around business and user interface design customer service business consulting and now you're really at the uh, frontier or the the edge of uh, of pushing you know bt into uh, the future world of work or the new world of work um, mm-hmm. so maybe to start off nicola if you could um introduce yourself to the listeners and tell a little bit about how this developed how your role developed what is your passion what what drives you
0: sure yeah no problem well i used to be bt's futurologist but i'm very very glad that i'm no longer officially known as a futurologist because uh it always comes with crystal ball jokes um mm. so uh, everyone always asks me where my crystal ball is and, and actually I do have one um <laughs> the only problem with that is it doesn't work you know so actually my job is much more exciting than reading tea leaves or looking at crystal balls so um yeah I, I changed my job title to become a little bit more boringly known as head of insight and, and futures because um uh, well it was supposed to get rid of the crystal ball jokes but people still call me a futurologist so i don't know why i bothered really but um but uh, i i keep saying uh, my job's largely research so a, a lot of it's around um looking at trends i work for bt so for those of you who don't know us that's british telecom um we are i'm actually part of the global part of bt um so the clues in the title we are global we work in 170 countries we're typically serving very large global corporates so You're looking at banks, retailers, airlines, um, customers like that. Um, I'm part of our innovation area, so I'm actually based um, in Adastral Park, which is uh, BT's main uh, research and innovation center. I'm actually sitting here today. It's just outside Ipswich in the east of England, and there's about three and a half thousand of us based on site. to be honest that's one of the reasons why i don't need a crystal ball because um there are some incredible people here that i can just go and talk to about pretty much anything um that i want to know about whether it's quantum computing or or um you know the latest in ai i can just find an expert um who can tell me all about it um i myself am not a technologist though um and my role in the innovation team is to look at the uh, the most disruptive part of innovation, in my opinion, which is us. I'm a psychologist, so uh, my role is to very much look at the people aspects of innovation, because frankly, technology is no use to us whatsoever unless we adopt it. Um, and obviously, adoption of technology uh, can allow us to do things in very, very different ways. But the behavioral aspects of it are fascinating and particularly um, looking at things like the future world of work um, a, a lot of my a lot of my focus is really around how employees are embracing that that future um, which is enabled by technology but actually culture change is a uh, is really part of, uh, of what I'm looking at because um, we can work in very very different ways already um, it's just the evidence is that it's gradually starting to change but culture change is a little bit like continental drift it, it happens a lot a lot more slowly than a lot of the technological change so really my role is to try and understand the behavioral aspects of of the future of work and how technology and innovation plays into that
1: um Absolutely fascinating. And and I think that uh, we will go to discuss that in in just a moment to to look at, you know, how it impacts our work-life balance, our mental and physical health and productivity. Mm. But maybe because um, you mentioned that as well, and I'm quite curious, there's so many contradicting articles. I think every day I see one article that says robots are going to steal our jobs and mm-hmm. another uh, 10 minutes later, uh, robots are not going to steal our jobs. They're going to. Mm-hmm. So it seems that there is still a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding. So maybe if we could just get started in, in your experience, surrounded with these brilliant minds, what, what do you see as kind of the the key trends or levers that um, company leaders, organizations need to be mindful of that are really changing the, the way we work.
0: Mm. Well, we talk about the six D's that are changing the future of work. So, so there are six trends. They all miraculously begin with the letter D. Um, so if you're a Sesame Street fan, you know, <laughs> this session is definitely brought to you by the letter D. Um, I mean, let's start with the droid. I mean, uh, the, the, the rise of the droid is one of the, the trends that we're looking at. So that, that is that speculation as to whether, you know, robots are going to eat all of our jobs. And to be honest, now, this is something that's, uh, that's not new. Um, if you look at some of the articles that were written in the 1920s and 1930s, it's exactly the same rhetoric that we're seeing today. I, I think there's a lot of hype in this area. Ironically, I started my life in BT, uh, 26 years ago, um, uh, looking at uh, neural networks actually, and, and applying neural networks into contact centers. And I think a lot of, a cha- lot has changed in 26 years, but a lot has not. Um, mm. so, um, uh, Artificial intelligence is only as good as the data that's behind it. Um, We don't always have the data. Obviously, we have much more data than we used to have 26 years ago and much, far better tools to analyze it, um, and spot patterns. Um, but you can't just create data out of nothing. Uh, and the other thing is that, um, obviously we've got huge advantages, and uh, advances in things like deep learning, for example, that weren't there 26 years ago. So we do have machines that have this ability to learn, but unless they have the right data set in machine readable form, it's very difficult for them to learn from anything. So I think, uh, there are certainly, um, There are some remarkable things happening. I mean, even autonomous cars are are amazing. Um, We couldn't conceive that they would be possible even five, six years ago. Um, And they are um, because of the advantages in things like machine vision, machine learning, all of those kind of things. Um, But there are things that we do a lot better than machines. So I've yet to find a machine that empathizes particularly well. Uh, It can't care very much. It can't really be that innovative or creative. Uh, negotiation skills is an interesting one that's a very human aspect that we maybe overlook Um, so all of those skills my take on it is that robots won't take our jobs Um, they will take certain tasks away from us there are certain jobs that might be at risk so but we've seen that before we had typing calls in the past and they, they've gone now because we do all that ourselves um but uh, but actually we're left with the stuff that make us uniquely human and and actually it makes us value some of the skills that make us uniquely human so things like caring it's not a skill that's particularly valued at the moment but it should be um so maybe we'll get a shift in terms of what kind of skill sets we'll need in the workforce and machines are going to take on a some of the tasks that we don't want to do i call it the dull the dirty and the dangerous so that they're probably going to take away a lot of that stuff but we're, we're left with this stuff that's quite challenging so i mean that's obviously a huge discussion i could go on for hours just on that topic but we've got another we've got another five d's so um i'll briefly cover the other one so we've got some um, another rising trend is is diversity in the workforce so obviously age diversity is the one that tends to get talked about an awful lot it's valid because there are five generations in the workforce but i also think it's a slight red herring um in that Uh, there's a lot of talk about millennials changing work. I keep saying I I think that there are less differences between the younger cohorts, so the uh, Generation X, Y's and Z's than there are maybe on the traditionalists and the baby boomers. But I think there are seismic changes that are changing the shape of the workforce that are more than just age. Um, so all right, on age, we've got things like retirements retiring. Um, so we've got people working a lot longer than they used to, um, simply because we're living longer. So I keep saying death may become optional, but taxes might not. Um, so uh, so we're working longer. We're, the retirement age is being pushed up and up and up. And, and really the diversity in the workforce, if we only look at age, and, and age is just one of the things. There's culture, there's ethnicity, there's gender, there's personality type. Um, all of those things mean that one size doesn't fit at all. So how do we actually create a a, a work-life balance that that isn't a one-size-fits-all? That gives people different choices in the how they work and where they work and when they work. So I think that diversity piece generally is pushing that agenda. And we've got things like the the death of Dilbert is is another one that I talk about, which is around how offices are tangibly changing because Um, And that is Dilbert as the comic. The comic strip, yeah, the little little guy in the cubicle. I would never kill Dilbert, but I might kill his cubicle because I think we're seeing tangibly that offices are becoming spaces where we collaborate about work. It's it's a social space. Um, uh, We don't actually need to be in the office to work, though, and I think that's where we're seeing this change in the way that offices are designed because they are, social spaces. We do need to create quiet spaces as well, because during a working day, we might be collaborating and communicating, but we may also need quiet time to contemplate and concentrate. So we're seeing these sort of more agile Uh, uh, office spaces coming up where you you effectively move around the office space rather than walk in the door and go where's my desk that's linked into the death of distance and and obviously uh, I work for a telecoms company so we're trying to kill distance we will never probably do it because uh, there are certain things around face-to-face that are remarkably unique and powerful but actually having to commute into an office every day to just sit at a desk and email the person opposite us rather than talk to them, isn't necessarily the most productive use of my time. So how do we develop collaboration tools that allow us to uh, um, create the, the kind of trust and collaborative environments that enable us to work at distance? Um, and obviously that the, the tools aren't necessarily the problem here because we have lots of collaboration tools I'm much more interested in the subtleties of how how do we collaborate? Um, How do we create trust? All of those things are really fascinating things to look into. And how do we then develop collaboration tools that, whether they're Obviously, rich ones like video conferencing, audio conferencing, uh, all the way through to, to slightly rich, uh, less rich ones like email is a terrible collaboration tool, but we abuse it. Um, we've got we've got um, obviously social media, and then obviously things like virtual reality and augmented reality coming onto on the future as well. So there's there's stuff like that that we're looking at. Um, that also creates this uh, the death of Dolly, I call it. So uh, this is Dolly Parton. It's the nine to five. Um, the fact that the that this always on. Um, Uh, mentality that we have now means that actually there is very little distinction between work and life now and that that's largely been driven by those lovely devices that are always on and always on us but that creates a problem in that the problem is not connection anymore it's disconnection and and how do we actually build in the time how do we build in the distinction of I'm I'm not working now I'm on vacation I want to go to sleep You know I'm I'm exhausted um, All of those things can be really damaging to productivity, including things like interruption as well. Mm. So I think um, during an average working day that they, they say that we're uh, interrupted uh, once every three minutes, um, and that that does not create a productive environment. So how do we how do we start to if we need to concentrate how do we switch off? So that, that's that's a lot of the work that we're doing as well. Um, and um, finally, the death of Dr. No, um, which is all about the consumerization of the workspace and the fact that I do a lot of work on consumer behaviours and consumers are behaving in very, very weird ways. But we're the same people that walk through the office door uh, every day. So we're actually becoming consumers at work. And that obviously symptomatic of that is things like bring your own device because we've got far cooler technology at home than we have. Have at work and that's it starts with that so it's bring your own device bring your own apps bring your own software bring your own office um because one size doesn't fit all i found a tool that's useful to me i want to bring it in and use it and of course then the it department go no you can't do that and then of course we do it anyway we just don't tell the it department um, and that's very dangerous to be honest because we don't think about things like security um, so I keep saying no is a dangerous answer. How do we say yes, but how do we bound that yes and make it safe and secure? So those are the sort of things that we, we've been looking at in terms of the sort of trends that are shaping the future of work. And there's lots of things around leadership and collaboration and trust that underpin a lot of those trends.
1: Absolutely fascinating. Um, I wish we would have more time so I could unpick uh, you know, each of them, but but we have to move on. You said something Very interesting. When you were talking about um, how do we adapt and and one thing that we're quite fascinated uh, with here is, is of course, management and especially line managers, because there may be the grand uh, purpose and vision from top management and the C-suite, but then how does that poor line manager translate that? this, um, I I was just recently talking to our accountant who said that, you know, uh, I don't know what to do because I'm the owner of this accountancy company, but all my accountants are not here. He walks in into this nice office every day on his own. So this idea of how do we define in a knowledge economy work to be done, right? This edgeless morphing work that is almost never done. And that's why we're Mm. also on all the time with our devices because there's never a sense of okay this is now done this is accomplished i can move that aside so 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 what what is your mm-hmm. take on on this this edgeless work this knowledge economy and how line managers can maybe tackle some of this
0: yeah i mean it's something that we went through in bt bt actually um, was one of the first adopters of homeworking in europe so we we went through uh, in fact our first homeworking trial was back in 1992, um, so not a new thing at all. Uh, I was actually part of the psychological monitoring team for that trial, so uh, we, we weren't sure that people would go slowly mad if they worked from home. <laughs> they didn't, by the way. They they actually did adapt very well. But in 1992, we didn't have the connectivity um, that that enabled us to do this in a in a cost-effective way. Obviously, as we get more connectivity, so things like broadband. Um, 3D, 3G, 4G, eventually 5G, um, you know, we, we, we have low-cost connectivity that we, enables us to work in very different ways. And actually, BT, by about um, the, the year 2000, about 20% of our workforce was working from home. We've pulled back a bit at the moment. Um, we've got about 10% of our workers work from home. Uh, about 73% of us are, are enabled to work absolutely anywhere. So we're classed as mobile or agile workers. Um, now, that's that's, for us, the first thing to tackle was, was the management piece, because I think management has always been, you know, the way that managers are taught is they see people, they get to know people, they see if they're, you know, coping with work, that they, they can, you know, manage by walking around. Um, and in a virtualized organisation, you can't do that. Um, in actual fact, it's pure management you have to do. So it's a discipline. So you, you have to make sure that if you have a meeting, you include everybody. So you need to create a common ground for that meeting. And bearing in mind, I'm in a global team, so uh, creating common ground cannot be I will fly people from uh, the ends of the earth into a, a room somewhere. Um, so physical physical mm. physical is physical meetings are becoming a, a luxury in a lot of very virtualized and globalized organizations. So when we have a meeting, you know, the managers have to think about the discipline of, well, maybe I need to open an audio bridge or maybe I need a video conference open. Um, maybe I need to, to extend the conv- conversation beyond the face to face meeting um and given that we can't do small talk in the office anymore how do we recreate that small talk on something like mm. social media um so i i think um, you know it places a lot of um demands on on those first line managers to manage very differently they they have to do the same things they have to get to know their people um they have to make sure that they include people in discussions um but they don't necessarily have to see their people and that's that's where this sort of discipline of We've gone from that very much command and control management style to to a very different management style. Um, and in fact, um, working with some of our innovation ecosystem partners, um, which includes uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. We're starting to really bury down into well, what does collaboration look like? What's good collaboration look like? And actually, what does leadership for good collaboration look like? And MIT Um, uh, I've been looking at this thing called social physics, which is using a big data approach to understand how we collaborate. And they've kind of said that leadership now is becoming this 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 point of connection. So rather than command and control, leadership is about establishing connection and establishing a purpose for collaboration. Um, So connecting people together is now becoming a very vital part of leadership. Because people don't see each other on a daily basis and it's somewhat the responsibility of those line managers, those leaders to understand what other people do and where it could be really good if you connected that X X with Y because they're doing very similar things or have complementary skills. That's a very different discipline and we do need to make sure our leaders are equipped Um for example, networking skills, that's 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 a, a uniquely human thing as well. So how do we actually equip our, our leaders to be good networkers? Because the evidence is only one in four of us are naturally good networkers. So how do you train the, th- the other three to become much, much better at, at something that isn't necessarily comfortable to them?
1: Mm. Now, you mentioned um, a couple of times the word agile, and I just wanted to take on Uh, this a little bit because um, from what we see is that for quite a number of uh, traditional or large companies who are maybe not tech companies um, it it seems quite a scary concept Um, and I think that there are a lot of self-limiting thoughts about you know oh I could never become like Airbnb or the Google office and and especially because we don't really seem to have any examples in between we have these big uh, ones in Silicon Valley and we all everybody wants to become the uber of something um, so so how what is your take on agility what, what is agile in, in your definition and and perhaps if you could give maybe a couple of pointers to to companies who think or suspect that they have to become more agile what is it that they can do?
0: Yeah, agile is a very loaded term that has many meanings for many people. I think I think uh, it has two meanings in BT. Uh, oddly, one is around agile development because that's where a lot of the tech guys are going. Around you know, you don't you don't spend 10 years developing a technology anymore. You spend you know 30 days, 90 days, and and you cycle it round and you have scrums and hot houses and all sorts of things. And and certainly we have embraced that in BT as as a, as a methodology and a way of working. For me, it's much more around agility uh, in terms of work style. So if I can, again, it goes back to this diversity piece. We're all different um, and cultures are very different as well. So I keep saying if you look at a, a Google or Facebook office or an average sort of Silicon Valley, um, sort of startup. Um, if you look at the average age of one of one of those companies, they're they're about 28 years old. Um, average age in BT at the moment is 44. Um, hmm. So when you look at things like homeworking, for example, um, it works for us because the one critical thing that you need for homeworking to work is, well, basically a home. Um, so uh, a 44 year old is probably more likely to have a home. A 28 year old well, at the moment, the evidence is that some of them can't afford a house and some of them still mm. live with their parents, in fact. Um, so when you look at things like homeworking, it might not work for, for a Google or a Facebook as well as it would for, for, for a company like BT. But again, it's, it's not one size fits all here. So so offices, I think, uh, are, are um, we. we we haven't had an emphasis on the office until really relatively recently in BT where we suddenly realized that actually we possibly went a little bit too far in the virtualization process. And it is nice to see people occasionally. So how do we create these attractive spaces? And, you know, I, I've been around, I've become quite sad. I've gone around some incredible office spaces around the world um, from, from companies, not, not just startups, you know, some, some very well-established companies that have very much rethought their office spaces for a reason, because, you know, you want people occasionally to come in and see each other and collaborate and talk and build trust. And as I said, there are some unique things that are linked to face to face. Um, But I think if you just limit yourself to an office in a face to face environment, you're not agile. Um, uh, Firstly, it's a one size fits all environment. So it doesn't fit everybody. And and you do get these sort of midlife jugglers um, who are, you know, they've got kids, they've got Caring responsibilities; um, they don't want to commute. In fact, the evidence is certainly in the UK: commute times are going up, not down. Um, mm. So, actually, why should I be in an office? Is there is there is there a productive reason why I should be in an office today? And and I ask myself that every day. And if there there is if the answer is there is no productive reason, I go and work somewhere else. My choice is typically our home. I don't really like working from home. I find it very isolating. Uh, I do Mm. come into the office to work occasionally, but I do have a, a small commute, not a very big one. Or there's what I call the coffice, which is the trendy one, the co-working space, um, which for me is often, you know, a a nice coffee shop or a hotel lobby. Um, But obviously, you get the formal co-working spaces um, as well, where people are are coming in because there are other people around that might have similar similar, um, sort of social needs or indeed interests to me, and I can actually talk to them. So a bit of company is often what you need in these spaces.
1: Um, do you think um, and this is going to be the last before last question, um, do you think that companies are slowly making now the link between um, the inside and the outside, so what they're um, offering their employees, how they create this um, work experience for their employees, how that links. To the experience of customers or clients with the companies because that's the ultimate uh, um, aim right is to is to really reflect employee happiness and employee satisfaction in client happiness and client satisfaction mm. but do you think that slowly we're because I, I think that in a way some organizations we have seen have uh, are, are trying to to offer the fruit basket or the the gym pass okay we will not completely refurbish the office but we will make slight modifications but i'm not so sure that there's really this thought process of you know why we're doing this in fact you know why this is something that we absolutely have to do
0: yeah I mean I I think um, you're right Uh, I think that there has been that connection between if we if we treat employees well you know the customer experience will be better obviously in most companies now there is very much an emphasis in things like customer experience indeed there's there's the chief customer officer role has become incredibly popular now Um, indeed we have one in BT Um, and i th- i think that there has been for many many years that that definite linkage between you know customer engagement and employee engagement so I, I think I am seeing again in a lot of the companies that we work with and again at BT um, you know uh, the emphasis on employee engagement and employee experience is becoming increasingly important because if employees are finding things hard they're, they're not going to translate that to making it easy for customers so so I think there is that inherent link um, I don't think it's just about happiness though so I don't think the fruit bowl and the gym necessarily uh uh enhances life um that they're they're kind of easy to do um i think a lot of it's around how do we actually enable people to to become more engaged in their job so for example classic psychology will tell you that if you're in a job with very hard high demand and low control the result is stress um so the demand piece is difficult because it's very difficult if you're at say a scarce skill to reduce that demand um but if you can give people more control over how they work, where they work, when they work, whether they have to do a commute, whether they can choose where they work, that's an element of control over their own job, over their own destiny, that actually if they do have that control, and it, it might not be real control, it might just be perception of control, that's enough to actually start to reduce stress levels. Um, so I, th- I think my, my, my philosophy is always, you know, if you can give people choices over how they work, that gives them that sort. of of mastery that that uh, control over their own destiny uh, that actually can have, have significant impact on, on things like health, on engagement, on stress levels. So that whole agile piece in my definition of agile, which is around how do we give more choices to people that suit them, that isn't the one size fits all, actually is a very, it creates a much healthier work environment where obviously things like fruit bowls and gyms are nice to have but if you have an engaged workforce that does have control over their destiny and that isn't stressed um, you're probably going to have a more productive uh, workforce that is better at delivering things for customers ultimately
1: absolutely now before we move to our last question may i ask you nicola to tell listeners about where they can um, access some of the white papers, some of the the knowledge that that you you are producing, and and where they could maybe follow you or get in touch with
0: you. Sure. Well, I I'm on Twitter, um, so I'm at doc Nicola on Twitter. Um, I'm obviously on LinkedIn as well, so you can you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, actually, uh, the, a lot of the content I'm I talk about is also on our, our BT blog, so it's called BT Let's Talk. Um, I actually do have a, 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 a I think there's a little there's a little uh, word cloud on on BT let's talk that has my name on so if you click click on my name um, you'll find all, all of my blogs which talk about uh, both the consumer side and the employee side so if you're interested in either all of the content is there
1: mm, fantastic now moving on to the last question which is always the same here on the work-life podcast if I could ask you Nicola to give um, a CEO an advice one advice to start um, start taking the company down the road of more agility, of modernization or or really embracing some of the trends, what what advice would you give to a CEO?
0: I I mean, I've always said, I think that the subtitle for future, that a lot of the stuff that I'm doing on the future of work is one size doesn't fit all. So it is very much Mm. around how do you give your employees choices? And if you give your employees choices, um, actually they will, they'll reciprocate um, there, there is a reciprocal arrangement here that, that uh, you know, if you give people the ability to work from home, there's a trust relationship there that they will give that back. You know, they will give that trust back. Um, so we, we we find all of those things that, you know, if you, if you give people choices and, and you acknowledge that you can't, just offer the one solution to everyone. Um, that that actually you'll you'll get a much more happy, productive, and engaged workforce. So yeah, I would say you know, just acknowledge that 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 one size doesn't fit all, and give give people choices.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Nicola, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it and and enjoyed our conversation, and I'm sure listeners also got really a lot of food for thought.
0: Thank you.